Well, good morning and welcome to worship. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Our Holy Gospel today is from the second chapter of Luke, beginning at verse 22. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the, of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For mine eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong and was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon them. The Gospel of our Lord. Again, I invite you to join me as we have opportunity now to invoke the Holy Spirit as we have opportunity in our time of meditation together today. Let us pray. Come Holy Spirit and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and we shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit instructs the hearts of the faithful, Grant that by that same Holy Spirit we may be made truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolations. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. I've been thinking all week long about faithfulness. What does faithfulness mean to you? Especially in regards to us being people of faith. People of faith who know enough about Scripture we know enough about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We know that our lives and the way in which we live our lives, that our lives are grounded, our lives are centered in loving God and affirming that love that God has for us. Which means that God, that we have a God in our lives who is continually in-breaking upon us and is constantly bestowing divine love and grace. 
That is the faithful God that we have. That is the faithful Lord and Savior that we have. And our lives are grounded and centered in that. And it's not so much our faithfulness, it has more to do with God's faithfulness to us. Because it's always been about God's faithfulness first to us before we then can have faithfulness ourselves. One of the things we know from especially our Old Testament history and our salvation history is that God's intent for us all along has been for God to be in a covenant relationship with God's people and is centered in God's love for us and for the entire created order. All you got to do is go back and look at the, the, the book of Genesis and it's all right there. And then those first five books of the Bible. And that love, it's reflected, it's reflected in our constant trust in God's love for us and our faithful practice of putting God first in all aspects of our lives. That's what it was like for the people of the covenant to live under the law, was to trust in God's love for them and to put God first above all other aspects in their lives. God's intent for us all along, not only to be in relationship with God, but with each other, God's intent all along was that we were to live well together. And in order for that to happen, God had to give us some guidelines. And to be even more specific, God had to give us the commandments so that it would go well with us. It specifically states that in the book of Deuteronomy. The reason why we were given the commandments is so that we would do well together. That somehow we would live life well together. In the fifth chapter of Deuteronomy, we have the giving of the Ten Commandments to Moses. And that teaching by God continues into the sixth chapter with these words. He says, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God. Now, fear the Lord your God is another way of saying love the Lord your God. So that you may enjoy long life and so that you may go, it may go well with you. And that's kind of a paraphrased version. I didn't want to read every single word in that passage. But that's basically the, and then, so that it may go well with you just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. And then it further goes on, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts, impress them upon your children, and talk about them. And it goes on a little bit more. But that's the, that's the basic message. That we are to love the Lord your God and impress it upon our hearts and impress it upon our children and talk about it. This is the world that Mary and Joseph lived in. This is the world that Mary and Joseph, this, this was their reality. Galatians 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. That's the reality of the world that Mary and Joseph lived in. And one of the things that we know about Mary and Joseph, even in their youthfulness, is that we know that they were, we know from what we've read about them in Scripture, we know that they were faithful. They were faithful to their religious traditions and practices. They were faithful to the Lord their God, and they were faithful to observing and obeying the commands and customs of the faith in which they were taught and which they were brought up in. 
And we also know that within the first 40 days of Jesus' life, in the first 40 days of Jesus' life, there were some specific things that took place. And the reason why these specific things took place is because the law requires it. We know that on the eighth day of Jesus' life, we know that he was circumcised, and it was on that day that he was given his name officially. Because it was always on the eighth day of a child's life that the child was given their name, especially a male child. And according to tradition, every firstborn male at that point was entrusted to God because they were considered to be holy and they were therefore dedicated to God. We also know that on the 40th day, or maybe, maybe the 41st day, I suppose, depending, that the, mother, that the mother of a male child always went to the temple for the purpose of what they call purification. And usually it involved going into the temple and presenting some offerings to the priest. And usually it was a, a lamb, if you were a rich family, it would be a lamb, but if you were a poor family, like Mary and Joseph, it would be something like uh, a pigeon or a couple of turtle doves, whatever the scriptures say was, was possible for you to give. And by doing that, that affected this purification process. She could, now, she could now again be a woman. In this visit that we hear today in the Gospel of Luke, it actually served two purposes. It was a time of purification for Mary, but it was also a time in which they came to dedicate Jesus' life to God as their firstborn son. Joseph and Mary, they were faithful couple, and having grown up in the Jewish faith and in the customs, they were doing the things that were required of them under the traditions and the laws of the faith. In many respects, there's nothing really unusual whatsoever about what Mary and Joseph were doing here. They were simply doing what was asked of them. And they were doing it because they were following the law, and they were also following that first law, that first, that first most important thing is, they were doing it because they were doing it out of loving the Lord their God with all of their heart, with all their soul, and all of their strength, trusting and dedicating their lives and the life of their firstborn son unto God. Little did they know what this future would hold for Jesus, but they were still doing what was necessary and required of them. We also have before us today two other examples of faithfulness. People who had spent their entire lives trusting in the promises of God and doing all that they could within themselves to love the Lord their God with all their soul, with all their strength, and with all their heart. And these two people are Simeon and Anna. Anna was supposedly uh, named as a prophetess. And we know also that both of them were well into their years in age. And they were, devoted, they were characterized as devout, righteous, faithful people. And it says here that they were waiting for the fulfillment of God's deliverance and salvation for the world. And God was faithful. God was faithful. God was faithful because he... Somehow, through divine intervention, the Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon that he would not see death until he would see the Christ. He would see the Messiah for himself. And so for me, this week has been all about faithfulness. Because that's what I see in this passage. I see all of these people as being people of faith who were living out their life of faith because of God's faithfulness to them. In the overall scheme of things, 
as we think about our own lives of faith, what, what, what does faithfulness to God mean to us? When I think about faithfulness, I appreciate the words. I, 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 I've always appreciated this man. His name is, I never met him in my life. I would have liked to have met him. Reverend Kent Knutson, I've quoted him before. He's the former ALC uh, bishop, American Lutheran Church bishop back in the 1960s and 70s. And uh, there's some material that he has out in a couple of different books. And I've always appreciated what he has had to say about a lot of different things about faith. And Reverend Kent Knutson wrote this about faithfulness. He says, faithfulness is a gift to be cherished well, first of all, he said, no, he, he said it this way. He said, I live by grace alone, and faithfulness is a gift to be cherished. I live by faith alone, by grace alone, and faithfulness is a gift to be cherished. And I've been thinking about that in my own life, and how, for me, as I think about my life as being one that lives by grace alone, and what does faithfulness mean to me? One of the first things I think about is I think about my marriage to my wife. We have been married now for 37 years, and it's only by the grace of God that we've been married for 37 years. <laughs> or at least it's by, it's by Kim's grace. Somehow, Kim has been gracious enough to love me for 37 years. Her gracious love for me, her faithfulness to me, has made it possible for us to be together for 37 years. But when I also think about faithfulness and this idea that we live by grace alone and that faithfulness is something to be cherished, it, it has, for me it has everything to do with continually seeing and hearing and simply trusting what I experience from God and through Jesus and the Scriptures. And some of those places where I hear God's faithfulness to me is I hear them in various places throughout Scripture. And one of the places where I hear that is in Hebrews 12, where it talks about being surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin, and the sin that so often entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith. If, if, if it were not for Jesus, I wouldn't have faith. The gift that I cherish in faithfulness, it has everything to do with my continually looking and seeing and hearing words like those that come from John 1, verse 14 and following. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Again, it has everything to do with what God has done for us, not anything that I have done for God. It's all about God's faithfulness. And I keep looking and I keep seeing and I keep trusting in that continual faithfulness that God has for us. That gift that we cherish in faithfulness and this looking, this seeing, this hearing, it comes from John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's all about God's love and faithfulness to us. It has nothing to do with what we've done. And I think that's also what Simeon was speaking about when he said, Mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. 
Simeon got it. That's why Jesus came into the world, to save the world. The gift that we cherish in faithfulness through this looking, through this seeing, through this trusting in God's faithfulness to us, it's reflected in the words from John 20, verses 30 and 31. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you might believe, that you might believe in Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing that you might have life in his name. That's what it means for us. To live lives of faithfulness is to trust in the faithfulness of God who loved us first and bestowed his grace and his love and his mercy upon us first and foremost, which then makes it possible for us to live lives of faithfulness, continuing to trust in him alone. It's about seeing, it's about trusting, it's about hearing, it's about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, even though we know we can't do it. And ultimately, faithfulness is, as Reverend Kent Knudsen writes, it's about trusting and reminding ourselves that we live by grace alone and that faithfulness is a gift to be cherished. Live by that grace, he says. And ultimately, in the end, when our lives come to an end on this earth, I would like to think that the prayer that you and I pray on our deathbed, if we have enough breath and enough mind left in our hearts to say it, that it might be the song of Simeon that we pray and that we sing and that we say. Because the song of Simeon became a song. It's called the Nunc Dementis. It's a part of our liturgical history in our evening matins. It comes, it's a Latin term, which means, now let depart. And I would think that, I would like to believe that ultimately in the end, when our time on this planet, on this earth, this God-created earth, we know that our lives don't really ever end, even though this earthly vessel will end. We just simply go to be with God. But in the midst of that moment in our lives, I would like to think, and maybe this is something that we should think about praying every night before we go to bed, is to simply use these words of the Song of Simeon. Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. You saved me, Lord. It's as simple as that which you have prepared in the sight of every person, which you have prepared in the sight of every people. Yes, God did prepare salvation. Jesus came into the world to save the world. Even though the world out there, many in the world are blinded to that salvation, it's still there. It's still there for the world to see, even though there's a lot of people that are blinded to it and can't seem to see it. Lord, let thy servant depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of every people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and for your glory to your people, Israel. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. I invite you to join me as we pray now the prayer our Lord has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. The worship has ended. Let your service begin. 
Hallelujah. Go in peace and tell the good news that God has done.